Before we dive into my discussion with John, I've just got a couple of announcements. This is the first episode in March, which means it's donation time. And here at Outer Rim Reads, I donate $1 for every patron we have over at Patreon to charity. And by the time of recording, we have 10 patrons, which means I'll be donating $10 to this month's charity, which is the This Is The Way fundraiser, raising money on behalf of the Transgender Law Center. I figure donating to this fundraiser is timely, given all the news around the departure of a certain Mandalorian cast member, and how a lot of people have somehow come to her defense regarding her past transphobic actions. Unfortunately, too, there is a lot of anti-trans legislation being proposed these days, specifically regarding trans people participating in sports, so I think there is really no better time to donate to the This Is The Way fundraiser on behalf of the Transgender Law Center to emphasize the fact that trans rights are human rights. I will leave a link in the episode description to the fundraiser if anyone else is interested in learning more or would like to donate to their cause as well. I have spoken. As always, I want to give a huge thank you to all of our patrons supporting the show, with a special shout-out to our producer status patron at the Lothal tier, Simon. It truly means so much to me that each of you have made it a priority to support the show financially. Your generosity each month keeps me and the podcast going, and I couldn't be more grateful for you all. If anyone would like to join our wonderful group of patrons and get access to our patron-only Discord server, exclusive stickers, a bonus monthly show, and more, you can become a part of the Outer Rim Reads team for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. And if you're not able to support the show financially, that's perfectly okay. Another fantastic way to help out is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps others find the show, so if you haven't left a review there, please do so. If you're interested in Outer Rim Reads t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more, you're in luck. Starting today through next Tuesday, listeners can save 10% off on merch orders at teespring.com slash stores slash Outer Rim Reads by using the code Outer Rim 10. So if you enter the code Outer Rim 10, that's Outer Rim 10 at checkout, you can save 10% on your merch order. Again, enter the code Outer Rim 10, that's Outer Rim 10, at checkout over at teespring.com slash stores slash Outer Rim Reads for 10% off on your order. And as always, there will be a link to the store in the episode description. And now for our Search Your Reading segment. Last episode's question was, although Qui-Gon clarified to Rahara that the Jedi only serve the will of the Republic, Rahara demanded what the point of a Republic was if they couldn't at least fight harder against slavery. What could the Jedi do when the body they serve is corrupt? Is it inherently wrong for the Jedi to take power, even if it could be used for good? Star Wars Pato 101, great name, on Instagram wrote, The Republic is man-made. It's a political border. The Force isn't bound by such things. And personally, I agree. I think one of the core problems during the Clone Wars was that the Jedi were too bound by the political borders of the Republic and didn't pay enough attention to the Living Force. So that was a great response by Star Wars Pato 101. I just want another excuse to read that name. <laughs> On Reddit, user we only see what we aim at wrote. I think part of the issue is that many Jedi felt as though going against the Jedi Order in any way was a sure path to the dark side. They had become so dogmatic that they were afraid to exercise any autonomy. 
It's also complicated because ethics might work one way for humans, but a completely different way for other sentients. Qui-Gon had warned Obi-Wan about moral absolutism early on. From a position of humility, I can understand why an individual Jedi would struggle against their own personal beliefs of morality and the beliefs of the collective, which may or may not be more impartial. And thank you as always for these answers, and stay tuned for our next discussion question at the end of this episode. Now, let's get into episode 31 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 31 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will be discussing chapters 24, 25, and 26 of Master and Apprentice, and I am joined today by my good friend and returning guest from season one, John Reimer. John, how are you doing tonight, man? Andrew. This is where the fun begins, and and let me tell you why. I'm actually familiar with some of these characters this go around, and we're entering prequel territory, peak meme territory. Yes. So I'm feeling I'm feeling ready. I will say that for only like uh, recently having read Thrawn when you came out of the first season, I thought you I thought you knocked it out of the park there. You know it is easier here i feel like with characters that we're already familiar with you know qui-gon obi-wan can't go wrong with that even though obi-wan doesn't really feature a lot in these chapters i feel like this is some prime rhyme territory (laughs) some prime prime territory for you so i'm excited to talk about these chapters um before we get going though do you mind in the case that any of the listeners haven't heard your episode or uh, the couple of episodes that you came on uh, in season one, do you mind talking a little bit about your background with Star Wars and then specifically with Master and Apprentice? Sure. Um, I'll actually start and address the second half of that first. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, because I had not read Thrawn, as you just mentioned, before we, we talked about it the last go around. And similarly, I had not read Master and Apprentice before we're talking about it now. <laughs> But I, I do want to say something and, and get this clear. Um, I read books. I, <laughs> I, I know how to read. I enjoy reading. And I was actually going to read this book when you said you're covering it next. But then you said, don't read the whole thing. I want you to only read up to what you and I might yeah, cover right. so that I don't spoil anything for myself. And I haven't. I'm and I haven't. <laughs> so I, I just I want to make sure we're getting the right impression across here. Uh, because I, I do really enjoy Star Wars and <laughs> was introduced to it at a young age, maybe six or seven. Started with the uh, the good old original trilogy, just like anybody anybody else. Um, and then that all happened around the time, and I'll just go ahead and age myself here. Uh, <laughs> Revenge of the Sith was in theaters. I saw it in theaters. It was a lot for me back yep. then. I was, I was maybe 10 at that time, uh, nine or 10. But yeah, I just, I, I absolutely fell in love with it right away. The characters, the adventure, the feeling of freedom in space. And what's interesting, and I was thinking about this a little bit, is that um, 
Star Wars has kind of aged like we have in response mm. to how the world has been aging around us. Interesting. And in that a lot of the the moral complexity that Star Wars explores, and I'm thinking honestly, like what we're going to cover here yeah. today, there wasn't as much of that around the original trilogy. Mm. You know, you were a good guy, you were a bad guy, maybe you were a mercenary like Han Solo, but there were people like Princess Leia to look down on you, you know? Mm. But if you were a good guy, you were good. And you were fighting for the light side of the force. And if you'd been taken by the dark side of the force, you were a bad guy. It started off so very black and white. Yeah. As you and I have grown up and as the world has, has changed, become more transparent around us, Star Wars has also changed and begun reflecting some of that mm-hmm. in a very interesting way. I like that point a lot. And I think we will definitely explore some similar themes to what you're talking about, if not identical themes to what you're talking about in these chapters. I feel like the material that we get in these three chapters, um, even though the chapters themselves might not be that long, I feel that they're very dense and very important, Um, especially there's a lot of conversation. Uh, You know, maybe not a lot per se happens, but what we get from the conversations that we'll talk about, it's a lot. And I like how there is a lot of relevance to the world. And and that's what we want to see from the material that we engage with. We want to be able to relate uh, what we're reading and what we're you know consuming and to be able to apply it and think about it in terms of the world around us. I, I love that point. And, you know, yeah. I, I will say I also forgot that uh, I had asked you, <laughs> I'd pleaded well, with you to not read past I, these chapters. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very excited that. I, uh... <laughs> I, I just, I do want to clear the air for anybody listening because, I feel like a lot of your previous guests are like, oh, you know, I, I read it as soon as it came out and I was looking for an yeah. excuse to reread it. Then I heard about your podcast and what a happy excuse to reread it. Like, yep. <laughs> I I read books. Okay. <laughs> you do read. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk about these chapters and, you know, at a point too where this is as far as you've read as well. So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Let's dive right in though. We've got some really dense chapters. Um, I'll read my summary for chapter 24 and then we'll get discussing. Great. At an arena in the capital, Rail overlooks a rally held in support of Princess Fanry. While making sure she is at the center of attention that day, Rail thinks back to his days at the Jedi Temple after his killing of Nimpiana. His thoughts are interrupted as he notices Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan enter the arena, having returned from their lunar investigation. After Qui-Gon informs Rail of what transpired on the moon, he is met by the Lord Regent's rage as he had never seen before. Rail shrugs away his friend's argument that the lunar citizens would be disenfranchised by the Governance Treaty, insisting the moon has always been ruled by Pijal. He also attempts to deflect Qui-Gon's arguments about the dangers of Zerka controlling the planet's penal system. Before walking away with Sector Supervisor Cole, Rail asserts that the good of Zerka means the good of Pijal. This chapter really is a huge turning point in Qui-Gon and Rail's friendship uh what's left of it maybe uh, as this chapter progresses especially from rail's perspective what were your general impressions of chapter 24 before we dive into the details i'm glad you mentioned short in page length 
and short and plot events, but dense, right? And it's almost like how dialogue in a movie maybe takes up less time than action, but can be equally, if not more, consequential. And I think that's sort of the chapters that we're looking at here. I definitely appreciated your point about there's something kind of revealing here, maybe about who Rail has been this entire time. This is this is a new, call it low, that we're seeing mm-hmm. him at. So big wake-up call. My notes here, a lot of them are, are sort of thoughts. I, I haven't really grabbed too many quotes. Sure. But Rail is officially washed up as a Jedi. <laughs> and But this is also nothing new, right? Yeah. I mean, Jedi being left alone in exile past their prime are always really interesting characters. Yeah. Really surprising characters sometimes, especially if you have a look at who they are when they were younger, mm. right? Like this version of Rail that's not listening to Qui-Gon, that's yelling at him, that's getting angry, doesn't really seem to fit at all with the Rail from Qui-Gon's flashbacks, right? Mm. Yeah, that's, that is that is a very fair point. And we see both how far Rail has come and how far he is falling here how far he has fallen since everything has escalated in the attempts on Fenry's life, and we know how much she means to him. So the painful thing is we can see where he is coming from, and especially with this little flashback thought that he has while he's watching Fenry at this rally, you know, waving at the crowd, being the center of attention, and he's, he's glad that he's not at the center of attention because the last time he was everyone's focus was at the Jedi Temple after the, the tragedy uh, that happened on the advent with Nim. And I just have this uh, section from the text here, uh, his thoughts that I would like to read. Quote, Walking along the temple corridors afterward, stairs burning into him like lasers, hearing echoes of Nim in the voice of every Padawan, his already depthless anguish somehow made worse by the knowledge that every single person around him blamed him as much as he blamed himself. They'd never wanted him here, never thought he belonged, and his failure had proven them right. And I think reading this sets up everything that happens afterward in this chapter as all the more tragic. We see the the pain that he's carried and that he's lived with, you know, where Qui-Gon earlier in the book questioned if Rail had ever paid enough of a price for what he did. And, you know, in, the, in a glimpse like this, a small glimpse like this, we see just how hard it was for him. And it makes what happens in this chapter all the all the sadder. Yeah. And, and we'll get to the, the, the argument itself, yeah. right? But just the fact that we start this chapter in Rail's point of view, I'm sure a couple of your guests have, have called this out before, but we shouldn't take for granted how fantastically written this book is. Yeah. Claudia Gray's ability to have us jump between characters' point of view within the same chapter, within the same conversation, within the same paragraph, the same moment in time, is not something we should take for granted. It is fantastic, and it allows us to, number one, empathize with every single one of the characters, which makes these arguments so perfectly frustrating. Yeah. You know, that to me is the sign of a well-written argument. And there there are some great examples in, in other stories and films. I'm thinking, honestly, of the one from La La Land, where yeah. you as the viewer or you as the audience almost want to jump in and say, like, you guys are saying all the wrong things. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you guys said this, you actually might agree with each other and be okay. But the the jumping around from the different points of view makes the arguments, like you said, a little more tragic. It makes where Rails ended up a little more tragic, but it also makes the argument itself and its outcome tragically inevitable. Yeah, and we've known the anger that we see from Rail in this chapter to have been inevitable. You know, it's been boiling up 
for some time. And Kwayan, you know, in the in the next kind of scene when they're talking and arguing, he's surprised at how enraged Rail is. But we as readers, we are not because we've seen kind of the the progression or regression that he's been experiencing ever since these events started escalating. Before we get into kind of like the heavier bits of this chapter, there is kind of like a funny moment that I, I thought when Captain Darren notices kind of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan enter the arena, um, you know, he and Rail are kind of overlooking to make every to make sure everything is okay. And Rail notices that Darren kind of gives a start as he like notices some new people enter the crowd um, and, you know, wondering if they're like attackers. Then then he goes back to normal when it's uh, when he realizes, oh, it's just Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And, you know, when we're reading that, uh, it kind of got me the first time, like pretty much like a not going to lie. They had me in the first half bit where it's like, you know, he gives a start. He's like, oh, who's that? And then, oh, it's Qui-Gon Obi-Wan. Um, but when he like initially jumped, I was like, oh, snap. Um, but then it's like, Claudia's like, got you, got you. You don't even know what you're diving into. Um, that's good. Hey, that's that's really good that she's able to keep you on edge. Yes. <laughs> during what should be a pretty, I don't know, a pretty routine, should just kind of cruise through it kind yeah. of a moment. Yeah. Like, you know, any anytime Captain Darren, like, kind of jumps, you know, he's 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 a very stoic figure. And so every anytime he, like, you know, becomes very alert all of a sudden, we're, we, we have to jump with him. Uh, <laughs> and so, but let's get into the real meat of the chapter where Rail is initially expecting, like, oh, I'm looking forward to hearing what Qui-Gon reports back from the moon. And then he's not happy at all. Before we kind of get into the themes of their argument, I do want to kind of bring up this point from the text where Qui-Gon is taking a moment to observe the crowd, to observe this rally that's happening here. And he's noticing, uh, I'll quote it from the text, quote, To judge by their smiles, Qui-Gon suspected the attendees genuinely were happy about the coming changes, but this group had nonetheless been carefully curated to present a uniformity of opinion that didn't actually exist. And I can see where they're coming from here trying to give the impression that, oh, everything's fine, you know, Pajal's just, you know, we're doing great. Uh, maybe trying to take the spotlight back from the opposition a bit, but it kind of hurts when it's like they're hiding from the reality where there's millions, thousands or millions others who are suffering outside of this rally at the hand of Zerka, and they're just pretending like everything is fine. It's it's like, it's, you know, you're talking about real world connections, uh, you know, earlier, it's like something you'd see out of, you know, like North Korea, where it's like, oh, you know, we all love, uh, you know, we all love our ruler, and actually not everything is fine at all. Um, what, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, about that? it's it's censored government images and controlled messaging to the world, mm -hmm. sort of like what you're saying. But I mean, how often are there, regardless of party here in this country, yeah. rallies where somebody who might not agree with the subject of the rally, straight up isn't invited. Yeah. Um, curating crowds is is not fictitious. Like this is this is where science fiction enters the yeah. realm of straight up social commentary, which is the best kind of science fiction. Um, and a whole lot of great science fiction is I don't want to say completely anti-capitalist, but is definitely like, hey, these corporations might not be up to a lot yeah. of good. So this book is is easily up in there. Yeah. So so it's not just a form of social commentary, but but you're you're kind of frustrated by that, right? Yeah. Because you want Fanry, and you also feel like she could kind of handle it. Yeah. To be able to hear and see people who might not agree with her. But again, stepping into Rail's point of view during that first section where, where it's his point of view and he's, he's like in a nim and he's you know paying attention to Captain Darren or whatever. Um, the word Fanry is mentioned mm. so many times. Yeah. Like he has become utterly fixated on her 
and her security that and this bias will will reveal itself soon in in, in the argument with, yeah. with Qui-Gon yeah. but like how much of the curated crowd was hey you know like let's just get people who actually clap for Fanry and how much of it was also hey like if we make sure that everybody in here is cool with Circa and what they're up to none of them will try taking a shot at Fanry. Yeah. It's uh and Rail has made you know he he admits a couple of times that this is exactly the way that he intended this to go. He he created this rally to he engineered it to go exactly the way it's going uh w- without a hint of dissent against Fanry. Um you know kind of painting this perfect picture and you know, works out for Zerka pretty well as well. Um, yep. <laughs> and and we'll get to that. But let's let's get into Qui-Gon and Rail's argument. And we instantly see a turning point in Rail's personality here. He's he's speaking very contemptuously to Qui-Gon. He's sneering at him, he's leering at him. You know, as soon as Qui-Gon kind of voices like, hey, this treaty isn't what you think it is and then rail it's just like a switch and, and we hate to see it but but it you know this is how it's playing out and his, his first argument here to Qui-Gon is that you know justifying this disenfranchisement of literally like almost a third of Pijal's population you know he's saying the moon has always been ruled by Pijal like that's how it's been and you know our mandate yeah, our mandate um <laughs> going Australian um and their mandate as Jedi doesn't allow them to change the way that those things have been, to which I say, and I love your thoughts here, like, I think it's a pretty shallow argument when it's like, oh, that's how things have always been, right? Like, I don't feel like that makes Zerka using slaves, like, okay, you know, oh, they've done that since the beginning, that's, you know, it makes it fine. And also, on the other hand, I I feel like it's kind of funny to hear Rail kind of, you know, pleading, uh, using the, the mandate of the Jedi against Qui-Gon, where it's like, since when has Rail ever given a shit about the Jedi mandate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, after Rail finishes up this argument, he's gonna go bang another bartender. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it is interesting that, that that's the argument that he uses, and this is a tension that the book explores all the time, right, from the beginning, Qui-Gon's character is is an exploration and an illustration of some sort of individual spiritualism and mm. mysticism and, and being guided by the spirituality versus code, dogma. But it also explores the concept of if Jedi are peacekeepers, how much of their responsibility is to keep the equilibrium versus truly change things. And it's really easy to, to jump on the side of Qui-Gon, especially because we're talking about... Sure slavery and Zerka, which is you know bad news yep. uses slaves and not to get too far ahead of ourselves but in this conversation with yoda in in the next chapter yeah. yoda starts to point out like hey we can't go around changing every single equilibrium especially because we ourselves are not perfect though we strive to be and we strive to be in perfect communion and harmony with the force if we set out to change the equilibrium Mm. We could possibly make things worse uh, in terms of the, you know, the balance of the force. Like that's yeah. a phrase used all over Star Wars, like balance, equilibrium. And so you you get Rail's point and not, he's, he's wrong in this moment, yeah. you know, <laughs> but in other situations on another planet, he might be right yeah. of wanting to keep the equilibrium and keep the harmony instead of going around trying to change things especially when that's coming from a single person and and their view yeah. even if that person is Qui-Gon. For sure and and, and we'll definitely explore that in in more depth when uh, in the next chapter with the conversation with Yoda 
Um, that's a, that's a very interesting point where yeah, I feel like a lot of the times, and I fall, I've fallen into this many times in, in covering this this season where I'm like instantly siding with Qui Gon. Like, no, he's he's got to be right. Like, rail, you're stupid right well, now. Like, you're... I, I, <laughs> don't don't make me like a rail. No, apologist. no, no. But like, <laughs> but this, like this chapter, like he, I, yeah, I'm not with him. He is very much chapter, the but, the bad he, guy in this chapter. <laughs> he's a little he's a little bit right about some things yeah. sometimes he's definitely being blinded by his obsession devotion whatever word you want to call it yeah to fanery i i do like with the disclaimer that you're not being a, a real sympathizer here I, I do like though your point that on another world in different circumstances he probably would be right here and i feel like that's that's an important note to to make however what he's doing and and what got us started here was was him bringing it up which is a scumbag move because like you said he clearly doesn't care about the code of the jedi exactly this is <laughs> this so this weird. This, watching watching this argument play out is just we see this argument play out all the time more so say in the last decade yeah. publicly than in other places but um when presented with facts that make the one person's position look bad yeah instead of backing down instead of reconsidering they reach for everything that they could to yeah. possibly justify this skewed reality and 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 to stay in their skewed reality instead of embracing and accepting the full picture for sure like a, a note that i made was that rail in his in his going after qui-gon here as soon as he hears qui-gon say something that that might actually be true that would cause him to like oh you know what like scrap the treaty we're gonna have to start over and redraft the whole thing instead of doing anything like that he gets personal yeah against qui-gon and then he's like okay the personal stuff isn't working because qui-gon is a, a cool cucumber <laughs> but um <laughs> If that gets deleted, whatever. <laughs> now we're um, keeping that in. <laughs> okay. But he's like, okay, like the personal stuff didn't work. So what might, you know what? Hey, Code of the Jedi, look at me. I'm going to put on, put on the Yoda shoes yeah. and say Code of the Jedi. Um, oh, that didn't work. Like, well, this isn't why I brought you here, right? You're working for me and, mm, and your job yeah. is to sign this treaty. You know, like anything instead of trying to, to disprove what Qui-Gon saw, what he realized the truth is about the opposition that they're not capable of, of terrorist attacks yeah. as soon as rail realized he wasn't going to change qui-gon's mind on that he just he reached for everything in the bag yeah I, I like and we did see kind of a progression of his argument you know when he like you're like you're saying when, when he realized progression, progression or it was more like watching a watching a train wreck like the logic <laughs> yeah. left it, after their first yeah. sort of back and forth <laughs> which is really sad to see because we don't want to see this you know between them uh, they've they've been on the same page to a certain extent for so long in this book and to see this conversation really devolve um it really hurt and you know he rail you know another kind of weak strategy he used was kind of like this whataboutism where you know mm -hmm. qui-gon says you know hey Zerka punishing so many crimes with slavery like you know and that being permanent with the treaty it's not right and then rail says you know tries to pull off well you know we're not the only planet who you know punishes crime with uh, with long-term labor he says so he doesn't even call it what it is which is uh you know not not great and but I, I guess the the last theme of his argument here which i think really kind of seals the deal for him is when he's kind of conflating fanry having power equaling 
the good of Pajal. Like if Fanry right. has this specific royal power, you know, even even with the con- uh, the constitutional assembly, that if she has this power and you know she's in a good place, that means everything is in a good place, which is not uh which doesn't seem like a very strong point but right for for, for him to raise that during the argument yeah is proof to qui-gon of what we as the readers knew from the beginning of this chapter which is like he has become way too fixated on fanry yeah where you yeah, really when it when it comes down to it he is willing to because i think he says you know that uh he's saying that you know zirka with zirka having more authority they're able to help fanry and when Fanry can live, you know, like a halfway normal life, then that means that Pajal is going to be a, in a good place. But the reality of it is that she's living a good life or a halfway normal life, as he's saying, while millions lose their livelihoods and lives to Zerka, where, you know, Qui-Gon's realizing and Rail's too far gone to realize this, that, yeah, a good future for Fanry doesn't equal a good future for Pajal necessarily, but he's... Anything that's against the treaty, anything that's against Fanery, he is refusing to appeal to reason, you know, and we see kind of like a desperation almost from Rail when Qui-Gon's like, all right, you know, you're right, the, the treaty is drafted, it's ready, who drafted the treaty? And Rail kind of pauses when he realizes Supervisor that, Cole. That gets through Zirka. to him, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he, beca- like he's, and then he starts to argue, you know, but this good of Zerka you know, it, it means the good of the planet. And, you know, at what cost, you know, to, is it, does it really equal the good of the planet? It's just the logic, like you're saying, is out the window when he starts to say that the benefit of Zerka means the benefit of Pijal. Uh, and the power that Zerka can give Fanery means that everything is fine when the reality of it is very much against that. And uh, the, the chapter kind of fittingly ends when he walks away with Supervisor Cole, you know, arm in arm. And to me, I'm thinking like, you know, he's given his arm to Zerka here, like literally, but also metaphorically. And from everything we've got in this chapter, with his kind of fall from grace, with his distancing from reality and reason, it doesn't seem like that's going to change. Right. Yeah. No, that I I only grabbed a couple of things because, again, I, I wasn't grabbing too many quotes but I called out that that ending scene staging of, of him taking the Zerka minister's yeah. arm was just perfectly written. That sums it up, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> where, you know, he is he's, you know, pretty much in their pocket. Uh, and I, I don't feel I think it is important to say I don't think he has bad intentions. I don't think he realizes the evil that he's helping bring about here but he's too blinded by helping fanry where he's just not able to see the fallout from that at all Um, exactly and it's it's not just that he's not able to see it it's that he doesn't want to see it he's refusing to see it yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. it's not like the treaty is like oh you know like circa can can enslave whoever they want when they want like you'd feel like he would have spoken up about that but as soon as as soon as the treaty was good enough for him he wasn't willing to poke any holes about it because he's just trying to like get through it exactly you know he because he's trying to keep on zirka's good side like for Mm -hmm. the sole purpose you know he knows you know when when qui-gon was saying earlier like chapters ago like you seem pretty comfortable with their slavery he's like i'm just playing their game so they can help fanery but right now he's so far into that game uh, where it's it's dangerous and it's going to cost people their lives 
And it's just, uh, you know, if there's a Star Wars quote that I can apply to Rail in this chapter, it's when Obi-Wan's saying, then you are lost. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like that's that's about sums it up. And that ends the chapter when he walks away with Supervisor Cole. Do you have any closing thoughts on 24 before we move on to some equally deep conversation in 25? Not a ton beyond just reiterating that this is this is the wake up call. This is this is when Qui-Gon realizes just just how far gone from reality from wanting to hear about reality yeah um from dismissing logic that that rail has become yeah and it's it's sad to see um it really is but i'll read my summary for 25 and then we can discuss that great qui-gon convenes with obi-wan who has been in the palace library taking a closer look at the governance treaty their fears about the disenfranchisement of the lunar citizens worsen when Obi-Wan informs Qui-Gon that almost a third of Pijal's inhabitants live on the moon. Qui-Gon decides to reach out to the Jedi Council about the recent complications regarding the treaty. Yoda is the only council member able to answer Qui-Gon's call, and they proceed to discuss the recent revelations about the treaty. Where Yoda insists the ceremony must proceed for the valuable hyperspace corridor, Qui-Gon argues that moving forward will condemn Pijal to a worse future. The Grandmaster also maintains that the Jedi must remain within their mandate and that it is not their place to end slavery in the galaxy. After visiting the site of the future ceremony, Qui-Gon is convinced his dream is actually a vision. John, this is a really interesting conversation in this chapter that we have between Qui-Gon and Yoda, and especially the end two, where the plot thickens, uh, if it could thicken even more. Um, do you, what were your general impressions um, on chapter 25 before we really dive into it? I think it's, it's very well paced. I think had we gone directly from the conversation argument better between Qui-Gon and Rail directly to Qui-Gon debriefing with Yoda like that would have been just a little bit too much for us to handle I think that this chapter also sort of solidifies that while we while we do a lot of bouncing around between characters and their different points of view and just as a small tangent that to me is is the soul of this book yeah like the the non-plot thing that this book does really really well whereas for Thrawn the non-plot thing that Thrawn does really well is create these scenes where Thrawn withholds information from us only to reveal it at the end in a very satisfying way like that's what that book is good at this is what this book is good at however this one definitely solidifies that despite the multiple points of view, like Qui-Gon is the main character at this point because he's received the information from Rail. He's going to receive the information from Obi-Wan. He's going to debrief with Yoda and then he's going to have the the more plot heavy experience, which is the, the vision. Mm-hmm. I, I like how you pointed that out because, you know, this book has jumped around with POVs very effectively. Um, and I don't think anyone has been underrepresented or, you know, not expanded upon uh, adequately. But as much as this is not Qui-Gon's book, I feel like what you've just said is pretty on point where in a lot of ways it kind of is Qui-Gon's book. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And, and of all the different POVs that we get and all the, all the ability to sound a little cliche, but like walk in the character's shoes, mm. experience their thoughts and their feelings. We get the most of that with Qui-Gon. Yeah. And, and I think, which is why 
when Rail turned on him so harshly in the last chapter, it was, even though we could maybe see it coming, it was still almost like a slap to the face to us as readers. For sure. Which is why sort of going through the rest of this chapter, it's like Moore's just raining down on his shoulders in terms of Obi-Wan giving him bad news, like, hey man, the treaty's actually worse than we feared. And then Yoda being like, hey, our our hands are, are tied essentially and then scary vision yeah. again <laughs> he's the recipient of all the the bad news mm. and and so are we as the reader yeah that's that's a really good point and you're right the weight on his shoulders only gets heavier um which is unfortunate no to matter see. how cool um, a cucumber he is no matter how yeah. cool a cucumber <laughs> Um, <laughs> gosh, I love that. Um, but I guess really the general gist of the first part of this chapter is what you said when Obi-Wan tells him, yo, this is worse than we thought, where Halen was saying, oh, you know, at least 25% of the of Pajal's population is here on the moon. And Obi-Wan's like, you know, when he looks at the street, he's like, no, it's actually like 30, uh, at least. Um, and so I guess that's, that, that was like the biggest takeaway from this first scene, um, you know, and, kind of debriefing. I'll just can I yeah. throw a little more nugget yeah. into what he said. He's like <laughs> at least thirty percent that may not count the slaves. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And you know, so the the thought that I took and that I wrote wrote down was um, you know, m- manipulating census data, not counting slaves as full people mm. when it comes to distribution of I don't know resources, taxes, legal protection yeah. is a better one, but what have you when it when it just comes to to census time like. That sounds awfully familiar. Yeah, and it's kind of in theme of what we had seen in the previous chapter, where it's like this carefully curated scene, this carefully curated mm-hmm. crowd, and then you know we realize that the census data is also being... Uh, curated. Exactly, curated uh, to, as it fits their needs, which is very disturbing. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not only the lunar citizens who are being disenfranchised, but thousands, uh, if not millions, of slaves who, who are just being written off, uh, which is very, uh, you know, I just want Zerga out. <laughs> I just want them gone. Uh, but, but thank you for, for pointing that out, because, um, you know, <laughs> that that is you know, we should not overlook that. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it just that, was, that was one of those, you know, science, but I'm not sure about the fiction yeah. moments yeah. Um, that I, that I caught. Yeah. And it just really shows us how bad this situation is and how high of a mountain Qui-Gon has to climb when now rail is making sure that, or doing everything in his power now to make sure that Qui-Gon can't climb the mountain, you know, and it's, it's very unfortunate. Um, the the next part of this chapter is in Qui Gon's quarters. You know when he he's reached out to the he's reached out to the Jedi Council. Yoda is the only one available immediately. Where one of the first things that Yoda points out to Qui Gon is to not jeopardize this hyperspace corridor, and we get two different opinions specifically on the implications of the treaty with this corridor. Where you know Qui Gon thinks. You know, in Camp A, he thinks it's not right to put profit and the corridor ahead of Pijal's people, and that many on Pijal would suffer if the treaty is followed through with, as, as we've come to understand from everything he and Obi-Wan have found out. Yoda, on the other hand, argues that the hyperspace corridor would open up trade to planets who have been cut off by this Barnum Maw we learned about way early in the book. And, you know, these worlds that have been you know, suffering from famine and poverty because they haven't been able to access kind of like the full trade power of the Republic 
And Yoda kind of hits Qui-Gon with, quote, will you save Pijal at the cost of their lives? Is this how you, <laughs> is this, I got to read this in, in Yoda speak. Is this how you will, oh, yeah, no, he says it right, doesn't he? Is this how you will serve the Force? Oh, wow, interesting. Does he say it that way? I thought he said, like, it in, in the back, you know, kind of like Yoda talk um I, I don't have it in front of me uh will you is this how you will yeah he says it right. every now and again with with short sentences he, yeah he, he, he says them normally <laughs> spot on i was i was looking for something that wasn't there um kind of like rail or maybe um but he he hits qui-gon with quote will you save pijal at the cost of their lives is this how you will serve the force and this is a hard question is there a right answer here this is tricky. I don't know how sure I am about Yoda kind of pulling, you know, the Will of the Force card on Qui-Gon, where it, it kind of seemed like he was he was speaking from the point, like, you know, that he knows the Will of the Force, that, like, he knows what's best, and that consequently, like, Qui-Gon is out of touch with the Force, which might be a little ironic. But with their differing points here, is there a right answer? It, it's a hard situation. I don't know. I don't think so. I think... And I think that's what this book does so well. Like they're both kind of right. They're both kind of not right. Yeah. And, and that's what happens when a couple of things happen. Number one, when you have a, a collision of different philosophies mm. and different capital I ideas, as well as when you have a collision of characters who have been so, so finely written with so much nuance yeah. that you're going to side and not side with with both of them yeah. when when they oppose each other. That's that there are so many larger scale ideas running into each other here and we're also acutely aware of any personal bias towards each other that Qui-Gon and Yoda have. Yeah, and we know that's there. <laughs> we exactly. know that Yoda does not approve of Qui-Gon on the council, and he, he even says, you know, is this the, you know, if you think this way, you know, you don't really belong in the council, and, and Qui-Gon acknowledges that his answers here are partly fueled by his anger towards Yoda, just not approving him. Uh, and so you're right, that, that, that bias, that tension underlying is there. And I think this really... Everything in this chapter, pretty much, or at least in their in their conversation, speaks to exactly what you were saying at the beginning of this episode, where this isn't the black and white Star Wars that we grew up with at all, nor should it be. And no. I feel like this is brilliant writing, and the fact that there is no easy or right answer is exactly the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and it's and it's done terrifically well. Um, There's also a very funny early impression I had when I was reading the book of like, oh, what's this? A bunch of men who aren't well enough in touch with their feelings, and because of that, they're going to have interpersonal conflicts. Like, what a concept. <laughs> High school me, is that? <laughs> Present me? Present me? <laughs> this is relatable. <laughs> is, is there... Is, you know, is there is there a right answer to to this podcast? Some of the listeners might agree with you. Some of the yeah. listeners might agree with me. You know, but we're just two flawed individuals coming at each other right now, Andrew. This is pretty much the real life master and apprentice. Um, I'm the master. Just, just I'm just gonna say that now. Um, but you're right. yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, I know you're just trying to get rid of me. <laughs> All right, Obi Wan. All right, should I say yeah. Obi? Um, <laughs> but let's get into the kind of like the next part of their conversation here where Qui-Gon brings up the issue of slavery in the galaxy. He he is 
saying to Yoda that, you know, we need to put an end to it. And he's asking Yoda the same question that Rahara asked him, you know, why do they continue to allow it to exist when they have the influence and the power, you know, the Republic, speaking of the Republic, and also perhaps the Jedi, to stop it. And Yoda's answer is interesting. You know, he, he points out a couple of species to Qui-Gon, the, the Uro and the Bis, who respectively devour their weakest children and beat their elderly after they can't uh, reproduce anymore in order to conserve resources. And, and Qui-Gon says, quote, This isn't about imposing human ethics on non-human species. This is something humans do to one another, an atrocity we should put an end to. And Yoda responds, We? Not the Chancellor, not the Galactic Senate, not even the people of the Republic, but the Jedi? Want to rule, do you? Dangerous this is, and one who would join the Council. Dangerous it is in any Jedi. And Qui-Gon finishes this thought with, If we don't stand for the right, what do we do? Why do we exist? And before we get to Yoda's response there, that was a very interesting exchange. What were your thoughts on that? So that's that's a collision of, again, philosophies, but also a collision of the, the mixed emotions that Qui-Gon has and, and by virtue we, the reader, have about the Jedi. Of what's where's the line between these Jedi are on Coruscant too much and they're out of mm. touch with reality versus Jedi have to be kept apart and special from the events of the galaxy yeah. in order to keep the equilibrium and the balance. Mm. Both those ideas can be right and they're hitting each other head on right now. I like So uh, I yeah. <laughs> I don't know which of those. Like there's a little bit of the first one of the Jedi are in Coruscant and an out of touch that we we know leads to the the undoing of the Jedi. Yeah. But it's hard not to agree with Yoda right here of wanting to take too much in your own hands could throw off the equilibrium could could put the Jedi in a compromising position. And we as Jedi should also be wise enough to know that we we can't rule. We shouldn't rule. Yeah. And and that is a very, you know, neat segue into kind of his final point here where, you know, he's bringing up, as Rail did, their mandate that the Jedi do have their limits. It's just the nature of the purpose that they serve. They have their limits. And he's saying we need to accept this, but that doesn't mean that we can't do the good that we're able to within that mandate. And he says, quote, to do otherwise, to substitute our judgment for that of the Republic, is to repeat the mistakes of the past. And Qui-Gon thinks to himself, you know, he doesn't say this out loud, probably a, a good thing that he didn't, quote, so instead we make different mistakes in the present. And I think this is another tricky point where they both are right in certain respects, where you know, I, I can feel a little bit frustrated at Yoda being too bought into the mandate of the Jedi and staying within kind of like the lines that are drawn, you know, you know, they have rules that they follow, you know, and this was touched on in a previous episode, you know, what do they do when the rules that they follow come from partially corrupt governing body? But then, as you said uh, earlier in your answer, that to maintain the equilibrium, to maintain the just the nature of the purpose they serve, they can't go about just ruling absolutely. This, I, I there could probably be a whole episode on just this conversation and, and the philosophies clashing here. 
Did you have any thoughts on kind of how this closed up? Because this is effectively the end of their conversation. I, I did. And, you know, to make sure that we don't just have an episode on this whole conversation, <laughs> I'll, I'll breeze along. However, we're seeing parallels here between what we just saw in the last chapter, right? So what we just saw in the last chapter was Qui-Gon realizing either this is this is the real rail or something has happened to him. And, yeah. and you know, the loss of Nim broke him and he's now a broken guy. Because what I'm seeing right now doesn't square with what we used to be. How often do we hear in in, in this story and in other Star Wars uh, movies, TV shows around the same time that lead to the fall of the Jedi of, quote, the Jedi aren't what they used to be, end mm. quote. They were just talking about, Yoda was just saying, like, we can't repeat the mistakes of the past. But Qui-Gon in his head is like, the Jedi used to be so much better. You know, so we're we're getting a sense of like, were the Jedi ever actually perfect? Was Rail ever actually perfect? Probably not. Yeah. But Yoda's wise enough to at least not repeat the same mistakes. Yeah, I think ultimately, I think it is a lose lose. The best they can do is to learn from what happened, and I think you know we'll learn more of that hopefully in in the High Republic content. But I can see where they're both coming from. I, I don't think there is a right way to go about it, you know, where, you know, Qui-Gon is right in, in a respect that by not, by avoiding the mistakes of the past, they are kind of treading in difficult waters now. Um, but there is merit to both of their responses and it's tricky. And yeah, uh, if there's a theme from this chapter and from the last chapter, uh, I, I, I don't, or if there's a theme from this chapter, I, it's, there might not just be a right answer at all. Um, it's just doing right. the best you can within with the circumstances you're given perhaps right right and it's when when there's when you don't know the easy right thing to do how can you rule out what to not do and and the way that this scene ends is that um qui-gon is personally resolving to end the enslavement at least here on pijal you know he's saying that was within his mandate and it would not stand um which is very reminiscent of Phantom Menace Qui-Gon, where it's like the Jedi Council said, you know, hey, he's too old to be taught. And Qui-Gon's like, well, I'm going to teach him anyway, you know, where it's like, you say I shouldn't end slavery. Well, I'm going to do it anyway here, um, which, you know, I, on one hand, I want him to do that. On the other hand, we see the stubbornness of Qui-Gon Jinn, which we know is a thing. That's the same sort of like tragic inevitability that we were just talking about. Yeah. But, you know, maybe not as tragic here, but like, of course, from everything that we know about Qui-Gon in this book, you know, he's going to uh, hang up the phone whatever with yoda yeah. and, and be like well <laughs> i'm right <laughs> i can't i can't end all slavery but you know technically i'm supposed to make things better here so <laughs> i might just do it here he's both following the rules and also finding the loopholes a little bit exactly <laughs> which is he, which he's you know been doing this whole time so <laughs> and it's something that he uh he passes along to to his apprentices yeah, eventually yeah yeah <laughs> In the closing scene of this chapter, um, you know, basically Qui-Gon had the same vision, but from like a different angle with see like seeing different parts to it. Um, you know, people screaming. There was, uh, he saw like Minister Orth breaking through the crowd towards the altar uh, and, and Rail yelling, uh, Fanry, no. And Qui-Gon, you know, about to strike with his lightsaber, not sure at what. Initially reading that, I was thinking it looks like Orth, you know, is this like an assassin assassination attempt? You know, Orth is making a break for the center of the ceremony. Um, 
But speaking of Orth, uh, you know, because Qui-Gon, he wakes up very disturbed from this dream, and he is going to the Celestial Chalice, which is the, uh, the amphitheater in which the ceremony will take place. And when he's in this tunnel leading towards it, he runs into Minister Orth. And this is sus. the middle of the night. Exactly. Sus. Sus. It is massively sus, where it's like, uh, you know, he, he asks her what she's doing there, and she says that she's reviewing security procedures before, you know, hurrying away. I'm like, in the middle of the night? Really? Like, <laughs> which, is, which is what she asks him, you know, in fairness. This is, this is also true. Uh, she seemed like she bought his answer, though, you know, where he's, you know, just uh, doing, some, doing some recon, checking things out, which she effectively said the same thing um but it does you, you gotta wonder in the middle of the night you know especially after we saw the, her in that vision making a break for the center of the making a break for the altar it's like interesting uh, is she sus <laughs> do we eject minister orth um <laughs> yeah i mean uh, it, that's that's good that's where i was also hey. going with that um <laughs> saw minister orth use a vent um <laughs> Nah. Um, <laughs> this is just one big book of Among Us, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> Master and Among Us. Um, oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> but, uh, okay, anyway. <laughs> Yo, Connor, you're a trooper, cut that. Um, <laughs> but reading this, and, and maybe this is like a little, a little too much like meta reading and getting out of the book a little bit, we know to expect a red herring. I've yeah. read enough books yep. in my life because once again I read <laughs> books, read books yeah. um, to expect a red herring. So I I, I don't know. However, yeah. it is very very odd that he had the vision that you're about to say. I'm sure like exactly matched the room. Yeah, and that um, Orth was featured so prominently in the vision, and then he he literally runs into her. Yeah, and she's acting pretty sus as well. You know, it, it does seem very heavy-handed Minister Orth, um, and, and you're right to point out, you know, red herrings do exist, um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, really, you know, th this is what we're given um, to make with it what we will. Um, <laughs> uh, but like you said, the chapter ends when he enters the Celestial Chalice and realizes this is the exact space that he's seen in his dream, but he realizes it's a vision because he's never been there before. But he knew in his mind, you know, when he in this vision, exactly what it looked like. And it's a chilling end to this chapter. You know, what could this mean? And, you know, it, it kind of takes a turn where it's like, is it a dream? No, it's actually a vision of the future. And and we're beginning to, literally speaking of red herrings, we're beginning to, to tread more and more into the whodunit, yeah. you know? That that's been a that's been a thing that's sort of been popping up here and there throughout. But as we get closer and closer to the coronation ceremony, the intensity of the whodunit has been stepping up. For sure, really amping up right now. And that ends chapter twenty five. I can give my summary for twenty six, and and we'll just keep rolling. <laughs> Let's do it. Qui-Gon announces that he will not participate in the treaty ceremony, effectively postponing it without a representative from the Republic. He justifies his reasoning based on the recurring vision, warning that Princess Fannery would be in danger if the ceremony were to proceed. Minister Orth and Rail remain unconvinced, writing Qui-Gon off as a fool and resolving to go ahead with the treaty. On the moon, Pax and Rahara observe a Zerka facility, gaining any reconnaissance information they can for planning their next moves. 
they witness the harmful extents to which Zerka mine, clearly placing their profits over the geological safety of the moon. As Rahara looks on at new slaves arriving to the landing pad, Pax attempts to comfort her and gives her a valuable gift. After Qui-Gon left the banquet hall, Obi-Wan assures the others that he will talk with his master about the drastic step he took. There's a, a, a lot uh, to deal with in this chapter. It really starts off with a bang uh, with Qui-Gon's announcement. What were your general thoughts on chapter 26? I, I love the bang that it started out with. It's it's one thing for Qui-Gon to sort of, after his, his conversation with Yoda, be like, mm, yeah, I think I'll... <laughs> I'll do something about this slavery thing and the vision. And it just starts off and he's like, ceremony's off. Yeah, I'm not off. going. <laughs> yeah. It was I, I we're 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 being a little silly about it right now, but I I, I love I love the heat that he brings oh, in that moment. He brings it. Like it, it's such a power move. <laughs> and it's just like no punches held right now. And what kind of caught me though when he made this announcement is that he notices that Obi-Wan's eyes widened when he gave it, which gives us a little bit of evidence that he didn't tell Obi-Wan that he would be doing that, which doesn't seem like the best move to catch your apprentice by surprise with this bombshell after everything that's happened between them and the book. I thought that was a little, like, I want to respect the power move, but I'm like, wait, you didn't tell Obi-Wan? What? Yeah, th that's a flaw that Qui-Gon has. We we love Qui-Gon an awful lot. We spend the most time with him as the reader. We're, we're most aligning ourselves with him, but he's still got his flaws, you know, yeah. and, and withholding things from Obi-Wan is, is clearly one of those. Like, that's that's one of those moments where you're like, and this is the tension that I caught on to early of the book of like, oh, what's this? Like, just two guys not being open <laughs> with their feelings about yep, here it is. <laughs> each other. And, and because of that, you have some tension and misunderstandings and conflicts. Hmm. Makes you want to jump in and be like, just just tell him. Just, just tell him. Qui -Gon, he, just, he, what he, you he can handle it. Just, like, just tell him, you know? Yeah, any progress that we think that they've made throughout the book, like they always, it's always like one step forward, two steps back, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, understandably to this announcement, Rail is absolutely furious. You know, he's calling Qui-Gon a fool for believing in, you know, prophecies in the first place. And, and again, I just have to just kind of shake my head sadly about how far they've fallen, you know, where, especially starting the book. When Qui-Gon first arrived to Pajal, Rail was so full of confidence and trust in him. And now just at the flip of a switch, it's totally turned on its head. But I guess before, after kind of like Minister Orth and Rail calling Qui-Gon a fool, uh, you know, he's saying, oh, the, the council will set him straight. But Qui-Gon is thinking that you know, he hasn't told the council because, you know, he knew that they would sit there, you know, that they would they would bicker about it. They would talk with themselves. They would just kind of like stay in that bubble on Coruscant without actually acting. And in his mind, in Qui-Gon's mind, doing that is making them out of touch with the Force. Um, where, you know, earlier Yoda kind of appealed to the will of the Force. In his mind here, we see Qui-Gon doing the same and with him, you know, he kind of ends this scene thinking to himself, his trust in these visions, in the prophecies, in this mysticism, he's personally never felt more in touch with the Force than he is right now. And by the same token, he's never felt more out of touch with 
the council, with the order. And, you know, it, it's just, I, I'm not going to ask, is he right? Because I've, you know, we, we've just, we've determined that there's no right answer here. But it's just, it's so interesting to see him kind of coming to the understanding that walking step by step with the council is in some ways opposite to being closer with the force. Right, right. And that's, the the tension between religious code dogma and individual spiritualism is like mm. at its most extreme yeah. in that in that statement and you want him to tell yoda about these visions and about the fact that like i have never felt closer to the force because you know that yoda is gonna at the very least respect yeah that and that's qui-gon while being being so guided by the force right now in this moment and we know that that's a good thing is running the risk that yoda has warned him about and that rail has come to embody of if you just think that you're right you're not actually right if you are only confirming your own rightness and not looking for any ways you might be wrong you might actually be wrong yeah, that's that's a fair point. And I think it kind of connects to one of the overarching themes of the book, which is that if you're if you're seeking growth with something with someone, it's mutual growth. You know, it's not just a one sided thing where that, that's a really great point where, you know, here Qui-Gon is thinking kind of very definitely in definite terms that what he's experiencing is like is the way. <laughs> right. But the reality of it is like, you know, ultimately he probably should come to Yoda more openly about this, just like Anakin should have come more openly to Yoda about the visions he was having. We know how that ended up. Um, yes. But you, we do wonder how things might have been different if Qui-Gon, you know, maybe had been a little bit more humble. With, right, to, to, right. With or, or like he's never felt closer to the force. Cool. This is the time to seek guidance. This is yeah. this is the time to take that to somebody. That's that's not just exciting to them and in, and a good way to get them more aligned with you because they they know that you're serious and, and that you're seriously feeling the force. But well, there is a dark side to the force. The force yeah. can can guide you on a wrong path if you aren't careful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like, you know, I, I do wonder if there's some elements of Qui-Gon thinking that maybe he might be, his his relationship with the Force might be superior to the Council. Um, right, and that's dangerous territory, it, and that's much. the territory that Yoda wants to stay out of. And I feel like they could be really more humble towards each other. Like, it, it, it's yeah. like what you're saying, you know, just, just talk it out. Just, like, be willing to give ground to each other, and that's where the growth is found. Uh, it's just... But that is how the scene ends on, on that note. Um, the, the next scene with Pax and O'Hara is pretty straightforward. Um, you know, they're observing the Circa facility, kind of just watching how things are, are going. There's kind of one key point that I wanted to talk about from this scene with Rahara. This is in her point of view, where she's watching the new slaves arrive to the facility, and she's insisting that she looks at them, even though she knows that it causes her pain to see it because she lived it, right? And, you know, she's telling Pax, quote, these people deserve a witness. They deserve to have someone who cares see exactly what's happening. And I've been riding this train through the whole book. She is so good, you know, and I think she's right. Where sometimes, and she knows, these are all criminals, you know, and she's right that not many people would care what happens to criminals. But she knows that, in her mind, no one deserves a fate like this, a life like this, or lack thereof. I, I've just, time and time again, I've, I've been impressed with the character of Rahara Wick, and this moment here, it just amplifies that, where even those who have, have done something wrong in their lives, we don't know the extent 
um, the spectrum of, of the, the crimes of these new incoming slaves, but she knows that even if they're criminals, no one deserves this. And I, I have to love Rahara. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you absolutely do. And and this is another, doesn't feel a whole lot of fiction, you know, because yeah. how does our 13th Amendment read? Exactly. Yep. It's, you know, no no slavery except in cases. Accepting prison labor. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, very chilling reality when, you know, what we're reading on, on the page we know is a thing. Yeah. Uh, in in this world and we need to know where where are the rahara wicks of this world you know um well they're they're out there andrew yeah. that's that, well no, no that's i mean I'm, I'm i'm trying to i'm trying to genuinely yeah reassure you here that the point of writing the character of rahara wick is that mm. people like this do exist and people like this should continue to exist and you know look at this the the jewel thief has become perhaps the most morally aligned character <laughs> in the whole book besides maybe Qui-Gon who we've also seen misstep yeah but we haven't seen Rahara misstep as much as we've seen Qui-Gon really from one of the unlikeliest of characters just looking at the face value of the book would we think this would be coming from a jewel thief no but it is um you mm -hmm. know where not all heroes have lightsabers and you know <laughs> it's a uh, I think she is one of the real heroes. And the scene ends on a very, like, touching moment where Pax kind of out of nowhere gives her this gift, uh, like, of really fancy gloves made, I think, of, like, gundark leather and, you know, lined with, like, shimmer silk. It's very, very it seems very invaluable of a gift, and um, you know, it moves Rahara to tears. And, you know, I think it's just another, you know, uh, another kind of testament to the humanity in Pax that's you know, yeah. every now and then it breaks through and, you know, he didn't need to, but he sees that she's suffering and he's like, you know, in, in moments like these, uh, I, I feel like this is the right thing to do. And, and it, it was a very, it was a short moment, but it was very powerful. I, I loved seeing this between them. And I, and to me, I'm thinking like, they, they can be cute. They can be cute together. <laughs> but in the final scene of this chapter, we are in the banquet hall again, this time in Obi-Wan's point of view. It's been a while since we've had something from his point of view, it, it feels like. Um, mm -hmm. But it starts with, it, it seems like after Qui-Gon made, made his announcement, he just peaced out because Obi-Wan's there and like Qui-Gon had left like an hour ago after he made his announcement. You're goddamn right he peaced out I'm after just his like, announcement. That's that's the way to be. That is, I, it's it's not it's not the perfect move, but I wrote move? in all caps, respect. <laughs> I just can't believe it when I read that I was like, wait, he just he just straight up left after he was like just the mic drop. Like <laughs> I, I picture him I picture him like saying it and then on his way out, like grabbing one of the million scones that he sees on the table and just like <laughs> munching it as he walks down the hall, like and like through like you know, he's like chewing better change that coronation date because two days isn't working. <laughs> I wanna I, I need to see more of the Qui-Gon sass. <laughs> What kind of what, what what flavor scone do you think Qui Gon would go for in that kind of like power move moment? Uh, know? blueberry because I want to be like Qui Gon and I really like blueberry. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll accept that. I like <laughs> Qui Gon is a blueberry scone kind of guy. Um, but yeah, he just he just pieced out and left Obi Wan to deal with the aftermath. Uh, yeah, that, that's that is a, that is a little that it's is a little, little bit shitty. of a catch. It's a little bit shitty from Qui Gon. <laughs> Obi-Wan's just there like, uh, I guess this is life now. I just have to deal with th these angry people in this room. Um, <laughs> it was maybe not the best move from, 
from Qui-Gon, but if you're doing a power move, you got to stick to it. He was consistent. But really, the the chapter, this scene, really the, all that happens in it is um, that they want Obi-Wan to talk with Qui-Gon about it. You know, they're insistent, like, the treaty's happening, you got to set him straight. Uh, and Obi-Wan has some renewed doubts in Qui-Gon, understandably so, because, you know, he didn't tell Obi-Wan what he was going to say there. You know, they could have briefed beforehand but he was just as blindsided as everyone else and and right now he's he's feeling like you know <laughs> the master apprentice role has kind of shifted where like you know he is the kind of like the the stable one even you know he's, he's yeah, questioning yeah, yeah. His, his internal thoughts there are very interesting of like oh my god qui-gon has gone rogue yeah <laughs> and what am i supposed to do because he's supposed to be the master it, which is uh, you know, we do have to wonder how this can, how this will proceed because yeah, you're right. Um, you know, he's wondering if Qui-Gon has lost his objectivity and, you know, maybe even his sanity, who knows, but just the fact that he wasn't let in on this and now he has to, you know, really kind of put out the flames that have been lit or try his best to, to, to make sure the situation just doesn't explode even more. You know, it, it seems like he is the master now, uh, in, in some way, um, where, you know, his yeah. faith in Qui-Gon is rattled even more. Um, but he's going to talk to him and, uh, see if he can kind of like set things straight a little bit. Um, but we do have to wonder how that's going to how that's going to proceed. Uh, it does end on kind of a ironic note where, you know, he says that we'll talk to him and Minister Orth is like, well, I'm glad that you're, you know, at least you understand your master. And Obi-Wan's like, oh. <laughs> do I? <laughs> nope. Yeah, that's uh, on, a, on, a, on a sillier note. If I was Obi-Wan, I would have wanted to know, number one, that we're, you know, boycotting the treaty, boycotting the coronation because it's a very important decision. Yep. <laughs> but also number two, like, okay, so like you're going to say it and then you're going to walk out. And I'm going to walk out with you. <laughs> And we're not going to look at anybody, you know, like just munch on that not, not only, not only does he say it, but he just leaves him in there. It was <laughs> like, like, uh, vicious. What? Uh... <laughs> like, did you guys hear that? If they, if they could have rehearsed a little bit, might've been a little bit smoother. Yeah, for like I'm imagining like before they go into the room, like, okay, like, like oh, sorry, I'm going to say it. And then we're both going to stand up at the same time and we're, we're going to slam our hands down on the table and then, and then we're going to walk out and then, okay. And, and then we're going to slam the door on our way out. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And it's like a double door, so like you know, when I when my left foot hits this tile, we both reach for our for the other yes, door. Yes, we, we got to walk in sync. Yes, and, and we got to reach our arms out at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> we got a little like you know synchronized mic drop power move uh, exit. Um, <laughs> but that's how the chapter ends. That's how this episode ends. Uh, John, what a roller coaster it's been. Uh, thank you for being here to ride along and, and to chat about the, really some deep chapters, some dense chapters. Uh, it was a lot. Thank you for for doing this. Yeah, it was definitely a it was definitely a, a, a thick steak of of arguments yep. and philosophies and character to chew on. Whereas I remember, I think when we when we talked about Thrawn, it was it was a lot of plot mm. advancement to sort of unpack. But somehow that feels a little less challenging to unpack than this so well-written and so well-written because it's so kind of ambiguous as to what's, what's, you know, actually right. There are some easy wrongs to to find, but 
there is no one right answer here. And and that can be a lot to swallow when you're reading it alone and definitely a lot to, to parse through talking about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I want to say that it was uh, easier to really unpack these themes um, talking to you, but it just, it, just, it is nope. a lot. <laughs> But, you know, yeah, there, there's just no right answer. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, we were able to talk about this and, and some really good material to chew on. Uh, it seems like a very well done steak. I'm still going to probably chew on that for a while before it uh, goes down. Um, but but thank you for, for being here to talk about some Master and Apprentice. John, if the listeners wanted to find you on the Internet to find, you know, what you do, can you talk a little bit about that and where they could do so? Yeah, yeah. So um, I have a a movie blog that I keep up semi regularly. It's it's certainly not limited to Star Wars content. It's sort of split between deep dives into single films that are maybe nine to ten minutes long, and then um, movie lists and rankings that I do. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're into movies beyond just Star Wars, come check it out. It's it's Rhymer's Reels. I uh, I definitely paid the creative consultant not enough or maybe too much um, no since right it's, just, no right it's just my name. Um, I, I will put the morsel out there that I did rank the Star Wars films yep. in my own opinion. Um, so I encourage you to, to check that out and then hit up Andrew on Twitter and not me. <laughs> yeah, I can. You, you can. Uh, this is like your Qui-Gon moment where you drop the mic with your rankings and then you walk out and leave me to deal with the aftermath. <laughs> That's right. And and the the, the nugget that I'm going to drop is that The Last Jedi is the third best Star Wars movie out of every single one made, in my opinion. And where is uh, where's The Rise of Skywalker? It's pretty damn low. <laughs> pretty low <laughs> yes the link will definitely be in the episode description listeners i would highly encourage you to go check out uh john's work uh they're really fun movie analyses and breakdowns and you know if you want to feel a little bit fired up about his star wars movie rankings please go do check that out you will not be disappointed and uh i will uh divert all subsequent messages angry messages about those star wars rankings to my uh lawyer so um <laughs> but john thank you so much for making the time to come on the show man this was really fun to talk to and yeah i'm glad that i was able to have you along for this ride because it was a ride <laughs> yeah my pleasure andrew and before we close up today i'll give our discussion question for these chapters yoda argued that the jedi need to remain within their mandate and accept the limits of their power in order to avoid their mistakes of the past Qui-Gon argued that doing so results in new mistakes being made in the present. Is the fear of making mistakes influencing the current Order's behavior, or should Qui-Gon be more cautious when regarding the Jedi's relationship with power? And listeners, I will post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please send us a response on any of those platforms or by email to OuterRimReadsPod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay up to date on the show and our discussion questions, feel free to give us a follow on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so if you head over to patreon.com slash Outer Rim Reads. And if you want some merch, you can find us on teespring.com slash stores slash Outer Rim Reads. And if you enter the code OUTERRIM10 at checkout, you can save 10% off your orders through next Tuesday. 
Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is hosted by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Geha, as well as Simon Van Backel. We will be back in two weeks with episode 32. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Check out our Pijali-themed breakfast buffet. Qui-Gon brought some blueberry scones. I hear he recommends them with a side of heat.